Welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. This is David, and I'm back here with my buddy Chris uh, at his house yet again. I think I'm going to start paying uh, taxes in Tennessee as, as many times as I'm driving up to Memphis lately. You might, man. Good to have you here again, though. Yeah, yeah. Good times. Want to tell everybody first to follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed. Subscribe to our YouTube channel now. We'll have something else special up on that after this podcast. And subscribe via iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, and like our Facebook page. So last week was a uh, very special week for us on this podcast. Uh, when Chris and I first started, you know, uh, had the idea for the podcast, uh, one of the, the first people we said we wanted to try to get was Todd Poole from Roxy Blue because, uh, as, as we've talked numerous times, Want Song was just a very, it was just a very special album for us, and, and we, we still love it to this day. And uh, I don't know about you, Chris. We, I know we've texted each other back and forth this week. Uh, very, it was a very cool moment for, especially when Todd was gracious enough to uh, play "Times Are Changing" in, in Chris's living room. We have that up on YouTube, and it's gotten a lot of views. And uh, we both, a couple of times, text each other back, said, "Man, can you believe that really just happened?" Yeah, I mean, the response was great too. You know, like you said, that YouTube video. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many texts I've got from people telling me how how cool it was. And I'm talking about people that never. Really, I mean, these girls, girls I talked to, they never really, them friends with, they never really knew much about Roxy Blue. like, wow, that's so good. I love his voice and such a good song. My wife said, yeah. You know, and so good reaction. Yeah, what, I mean, what you're talking about? I mean, the, yeah, we were just we were just fans, you know? I mean, yeah, it's cool to have somebody, a Memphis band, come in and take time with us. But I think at this point, Todd knows that we're legit fans, you know? And it's just, it means a lot to us. Like I said, I mean, if, hell, if, you know, my 14, 15-year-old self knew that one day he'd be playing Times Are Changing in my living room. Like, Man, you're kidding me. That's... I know. I was I was at I was at work the other day and I got a text from uh, from Todd and I uh, looked over to the person next to me and said, "Man, any and every day that you get a text from somebody that uh, that you grew up listening to and just respect like that." And I was yeah. like, "It's a cool moment." So the record meant something wow. to us, and so it was cool having Todd. And so I mean, instead of us talking on and on, let's welcome Todd back. Hey, man, <laughs> just I'm enjoying y'all talking about me. <laughs> Checks in the mail. Great, huh? great Flattery to get you everywhere, here. right? It's great to be back here, man. I, it really is. I, I I was uh, I'm honored to be back over here and, and share some more uh, some more insights on my um, crazy career or whatever you want to call it or my, my crazy travels through this rock and roll journey of mine. Well, we're gonna kind of pick just pick up from where we left off last week, and uh, you know you had talked to us about doing a second Roxy album, and um, you you had decided not to do one. Um, <laughs> Well, actually, uh, Scotty T and I started writing. Uh, we actually wrote a second record, and um, he had a studio at his house, so we were just going to do pre-production there and pretty much just do, just record songs. Um, and it was real different. It was uh, it was cool though, man. I loved it. I mean, we we were we I could tell we were growing. Um, as writers, had a lot more to talk about. Um, um, but it was a really cool, cool record, man. And and we we get Sid and Josh to come by and put their parts on. And me and Scotty were just really, really, we just dove into it. I mean, we were every day. I mean, that's all we did. I'd go over there and. Idea. I mean, I was writing lyrics on the way over to his house. I mean, we just 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 dove straight into it, and so I remember we 
we had a rehearsal space. Well, actually, before all that happened, what, what was going on at the time is um, it was a weird situation because, you know, music was changing and we didn't know where we stood at the time. You know, we, you know our want some was probably a, what some people would say a day late and a dollar short um, from, from making the cut, you know, because of the Seattle scene and um, Nirvana being on our label and them coming out and it just, it really slammed the door on a lot of bands from our era. But we were just into rock and roll so we were gonna make another record. So I remember, um, you know, I don't really like talking a whole lot about this but I will talk about it. And, you know, a lot of people ask me questions, what happened to Sid? And uh, first of all, I'll say that Sid and I are still friends. And Sid was probably was such a young dude, man. And he was so good on guitar. I mean, the cat was just a true guitar player. I mean, he really, I lived with him. He was my roommate, you know, we got a place together. And he was just constantly playing guitar. I mean, he was just a great player. We wrote good songs together. Um, Somewhere between the Want Some record and the new record that we were working on, the connection was lost. I mean, Sid was preoccupied um, with certain things, um, girls, whatever. He just wasn't there. You know, he wasn't that same guy that was there, like, on top of things all the time. And so he didn't have a lot of input. On, on what we did. In fact, really none on the second record. And I, you know, whether it was a good choice or not, Scotty T and we got together and we talked to Josh and, you know, we just, it's like, look, man, we want to move on with this. And, you know, Sid's head's not in the game. Um, this is what we're thinking at the time, you know, and whether it was a good choice or bad choice, who knows? But I can tell you that we, we made the choice to replace Sid. And a lot of people would say, you know, no Sid, Todd and Sid, I mean, you know, you gotta have that for Roxy Blue, and you know, I felt really bad about it. Um, but anyway, we, we went ahead and made the move, and we got Wayne Sweeney, um, who later went on to form Saliva with me. Um, and we had a cool sound there. Oh, dude, it was awesome. I remember Doug Thaler from Top Rock, our manager, coming in town and listening to the new CD, our, our demo or whatever, and he loved it. I mean, he was like, this is awesome. I mean, so we're, it's, we're in a weird situation because we're sitting there listening to a record that we know, it doesn't sound like Want Some, but it's still classic Roxy, but it was so, it was really good. Knowing that Doug's sitting there going, man, what a great record. You're getting another record with Geffen, but they're not going to push it. They're going to shelve it. You know, they're not going to get behind it. They'll put it out there, but they're not going to promote it. Um, would, would you have had the opportunity to get out of that deal and shop it to someone else? No. Um, not under the name Roxy Blue. Um, we actually had a really nice rehearsal space at uh, Andy Mayhall's uh, warehouse and you know all this time I mean Top Rock and Geffen were always really good to us I mean they, they even though later on you find out you're the one foot in the bill you know everybody oh man dude they got us this great practice room yeah. we got a full PA and a full stage it's like pre-production's awesome and uh, you know later on like I tell bands now you know 
every time that they give you something, I mean, you're paying for it, dude. Okay, so anyway, I remember being at rehearsal, and we were rehearsing these songs, man, and actually writing, writing new stuff even more with Wayne. Um, we went to the studio with Rusty McFarlane and wrote Already Gone. Uh, we recorded Already Gone. We recorded um, Set Me Free, the one we did on the piano, which I really still love that song. Um, Wasting My Time. That is a that is very a, very Aerosmithy, you know. I was I was gonna say that is a complete departure in, in sound. Totally, and that could have been a hit, man. That and is I'll such a still good song. Love, and you know, the, I think the only thing that tied it to classic Roxy were the lyrics. You know, like uh, um, Uncle Sam and Apple Pie. You know, so I mean, but that was about the time that Doug was pretty much like, all right, dude, here's the deal. And then my our lawyer Jim Zomal, which you know she's still a dear friend of mine. He's a, just a genius, but he he had it where I basically was going to be able to, you know, if I wasn't with Roxy, then Roxy was no more. You know, we were pretty much out of our deal. And I, I think at that point we we had another record with Geffen, but um, it was either we would either opt out or probably be dropped after that record because I mean so I got a phone call from Janie Lane and he was like look man um, you know what are you doing and I told him everything we were doing he's like well the guys I'm gonna go solo and I'm gonna do a solo record and whatever and the guys have been trying out singers and you know how do you feel about going out and, and singing with them I'm like they, they, I said, well, what do they think? And they said, well, they just, you know, basically, you know, didn't want to break Roxy Blue up, but, you know, we're all buddies and stuff. And I'm like, well, hey, man, you know, that's cool because I'm in a weird situation right now. Maybe I need a break from this. Let me come out and hang for a while. So I went out to L.A. and hung out with those guys and stayed at Eric's house. And, um, you know, we wrote some songs. And I had some songs with me and I remember I was and um, went over to Doug Thaler's house and he was like dude man you know what are you doing I'm like man he goes man the only thing is man it's like this is Janie's band Warrant is Janie's band I mean they got a signature sound you know blah blah and I'm like yeah man I just you know Seeing how what happens, and man, we actually recorded some really cool stuff. And I think they got a couple tracks. We got a couple tracks that were released in Japan, and we recorded some pretty cool stuff. But, you know, Tommy Lee. I remember he called that night and uh, was talking to Joey Allen's over there. We were all getting ready to go out, and I remember Tommy calling. Joey said, "Well, Todd's out here," and uh, so I talked to Tommy, and he said, "Well, look." I'm going to come get you. We'll meet them at the club. And and so he and I talked. And, you know, Tommy was super cool guy, man. You know, I know he got a lot of bad rap from press with all this stuff and stuff, but he was just a cool guy. Seems man. like Tommy. a big kid. Man, but he's just a super no, cool guy. No, I mean that in a good, yeah, good yeah, way. Yeah, he he's really a, is, man. A I mean, guy. You know, he, he's a super cool guy. I mean, he's, a, he's, a, he's the beat master. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he can come up with... I mean, grooves like crazy, but he's a super cool guy. 
And, you know, I hung out with Tommy a, a bunch. He used to come out to the house in Malibu a lot. So, I mean, he was just a cool guy. And they used to come to our rehearsals and stuff and kind of big brothered us, you know, because we were under, you know, we were with Top Rock. So, what year was this that you're. That you're this is like uh, 1993, so, maybe. So, Vince Neal's out of the band at this point. Vince Neal's out. Uh, this was. Um, this is actually after Tommy kind of made an announcement. We were, Roxy was going to go on tour with Motley when they had Karabi for the hooligan holiday mm-hmm. thing. And, um, you know, that it just didn't pan out. And that, that was really heartbreaking to us, you know. But, but I remember Tommy saying, man, you know, I like the guys in war, man. They're my friends, man. He says, but, dude, I want you... Like, Roxy hasn't made it big enough to where you can't re-identify yourself in the way music is now. And this was great advice he gave me, because I took it. He's like, no disrespect to the guys, but you have a chance right now to re-identify yourself and start something new in music. And, you know... I took it, man, and uh, I remember going back, and I, you know, I hung out with, with Warren for a couple more weeks, and I was just like, dude, I'm gonna go back to Memphis, man. Um, and they were cool, man. You know, they were like, I'm like, let me, I, I got, I got a lot to think about, and we cut some good stuff, and they're my buddies, man. Those guys helped me so much, and they're my friends, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't count the number of times we've picked each other off the floor from being completely slouched. <laughs> but, um... Do you have these recordings of you with Warren? You know, man, it's funny you ask that. Um, I think my drummer, Jimmy Falk, I think he does. I, I, I don't know where they're at. I ha- I'm sure I do. Man. I have, like, a bunch of It'd stuff. Be cool to hear it. I, I have moved so many times, and some stuff happened to some of my stuff, and I won't go into why or who did that to my stuff. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm sure you can find it. I, I've had people approach me about it. But um, anyway, that was getting into the record part. So that didn't pan out, and I decided to come back to town and – Roxy just pretty much at that point had run its course. I mean, we played gigs with Wayne, and it was a great band, and I think we probably did another year, and and it was fun, and 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 it wasn't like uh, it was still great. I mean, Wayne's playing with us now, and it it sounds great. You know, it was just a weird weird timing, you know, with the label stuff and stuff. So you're trying to figure out what you're going to do alright so can we for a split second can we talk about that album once some more because but that's not even the record I'm talking about oh, oh. okay alright well, no the record I, we'll get to want some more but that record right there I don't, I don't even know we had a title I mean that's how new it was I mean the, the songs were done um, none of the songs that we just talked about set me free and all that none of that was on that record the only um, you when we get to I, I tell you what when, just to give you a little insight on once more if you know, somewhere on those three CDs that F and A Records released, which is a company out of, out of Nashville that we signed with along with Tour Tour, um, have you heard uh, Mr. Jones? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
That was one. Okay. Um, what's another one that's on there? Um, was was Black Sky one of them? No, but Black Sky, interesting about Black Sky is that Black Sky was just a song that we cut <coughs> in the studio. And my father-in-law, Jimmy Jameson, which was not my father-in-law at the time, we called him up late. It's probably one in the morning. And he just happened to be up. We said, dude, can you come down here and sing background on this? So he came down and sang background on, on, on Black Sky. Because that's one of the that's songs. That's one of Josh's creations. Well, that's actually. one of the songs I wanted to ask you about off, off once more. And then we'll um, let Chris ask his question. Well, I just wanted I just want to say, so uh, you going to Warren obviously did not... I thought maybe that had kind of broken up Roxy Blue. Obviously, no. it didn't happen, and you chose not to pursue with Warren, which I got to say, you know, and some people might. We know Janie ended up coming back. So yeah, it was of course. probably a good. But not that, yeah, not that long after, really. I mean, if you think about it, and some people might question the move, but it really, in hindsight, I think that the advice Tommy gave you was really good because it's so hard for somebody that came from that that era if they had any kind of name to try to reestablish themselves. It really is. When you take a, I think of the biggest one and, and we'll get to how you kind of reinvented yourself in a way and I think of somebody else that I, I draw comparisons to that completely reinvented himself be Butch Walker who oh, is God. one of my music heroes. I mean there was a guy and if you have a read, lot of people's heroes now. If you haven't read his book <laughs> it is just the most hilarious thing when he's talking I about being blind and dying. Back in the day when he was with South. Oh Bay. yeah. But, I mean, well, he talks Great about guitar player too. About, yeah yes. Yeah. <laughs> created everything he does really but he's talking about being wined and dined with Marvelous 3 and they had no clue he came from that and it's a really funny story I won't get into it but there's a guy who was able to reinvent and if you're, you're right I mean Tommy's right if you had well, a, he reinvented himself on the other side of the table I mean he was able to with me you know Butch to me was you know I, I didn't know this about him back then I mean me and Butch were acquaintances in LA from you know, the guys in South Gang, we'd hang out with them some, and they were good buddies. Um, we thought they were a great band, too. So Yeah, they were. Um, but Butch was, uh, you know, he was kind of reserved, you know, to me. From what I remember about him back in the day, and of course I haven't talked to him in years, but back in the day I remember he was real reserved as far as, like, not really boastful and not, you know, he was just kind of reserved. But, you know, who would have known? Here's a guy's gonna end up being a, one of the top freaking notch producers around. He's recording. one of the biggest guys in music. Yeah, yeah. he does. Like, uh, didn't he do uh, Fallout Boys? And he's man, the guys, and he's he's done songs for Pink, um, yeah, Adam Levine. I mean, he big did time Tommy Lee So album. Yeah, I mean, did guy, he really? Yeah, it's a cool yeah, record did. actually. And he did the, it, that bit, the the song, the, the lead single. I can't remember what it's called. If you listen yeah, I need to, to it, stop. I don't want to hear about all that success. It's <laughs> but it sounds like you can tell. It sounds like Butch's vocals. In it, but but yeah, I was just I'm saying, kidding, man. I, 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 the guy's um, he was a great talent, and the thing is, and I want to tell you this too is like the one thing I've always been is up front, I, I, I've just never been a fan of uh, of being sneaky, you know. So I remember, and I really remember this pretty vividly. I remember being in the in the rehearsal warehouse, and I remember looking at the guys and going, look, guys, um, I don't know where we're at right now. And I know that everybody in here, and I'm talking to Scotty and Josh and Wayne, and I'm like, I know I know, everybody here is, we don't know if we're coming or going right now. And it's, it, we, you know, it, people that have been in this position know what I'm talking about. It was just a real dark spot. You know, it was like a blank space, for lack of better words. 
So we were treading water. We knew we weren't going to get a push. And then we're going to be locked in. And I felt like I had an opportunity to maybe branch and go try something. And I think that's what the guys at Warrant were doing. I don't think, I don't think anything was concrete. I don't think it was ever, hey man, you're our new lead singer. And I think we were just gonna get together and record some stuff and see where it went and do some drinking and have some good times. And, and that's what it was. And, um, and the guys in Roxy Blue, man, they were all real supportive of me. They were like, hey, man, you know, I remember Scotty T going, hey, dude, you know, go do your thing. You know, there's another guy. Scotty T has done great. Scotty T's played with Amy Grant, Vince Gill. I mean, he's played with, he's playing with Nelson right now. Um, he's produced number, numerous amounts of some stuff in Nashville. And didn't he start at a really early age touring? Scotty probably he was a singer he wasn't even a drummer he was a drummer but then he ended up being a singer and, uh, in a band that that Jimmy Jameson was actually kind of managing a long long time ago but um, and I can't remember the name of the band but anyway so to, so that era right there was kind of a really weird time and I think um, there was a, we were all kind of doing a lot of soul searching and that was when we, oh, well, what happened is, um, I remember we went in the studio and we ended up cutting that, that whole, okay, so the, so not to get ahead of myself, but because I know I'm bouncing around, but the whole Roxy Blue as everyone knew us with Geffen, Top Rock, all that, that was pretty much getting ready to be at a close right there. That was it. And so it was like, come back to Memphis and what are we going to do? And I think, I want to say at that point, um, that's when I think Scotty and Josh and Wayne and I, I think we stayed together and did, that's when we went in with Rusty McFarland and we started writing different kind of stuff. That's when we got into Set Me Free um, wasting, wasting my time. We did Black Sky, but Scotty T wasn't with us when we did Black Sky. Um, well, the reason I keep Jimmy bring, Fault played. The reason drums. I keep bringing that song up, you because you were talking about trying to reinvent yourself. Black Sky sounds more like a grunge song. Well, than, I started getting into that. I that's was, what I'm saying, and like, I didn't do it to do it. You know, I mean, like. It, it influenced me like it influenced thousands of right. thousands yeah, yeah. of millions of people. I just I started leaning. I actually started leaning that way while I was out in L.A. doing the Roxy record. I just it, I just liked it, and I liked that music. And, and I was never really a great guitar player. I just was a songwriter, but I loved that. I mean, I just I loved. I was like, I don't know. I was kind of getting away from the the glam and glitz and getting more into like, you know, I mean, it just, it, I was moved by that music. And I started writing songs like, well, Josh came up with the, the whole beat and the whole rhythm to Black Sky. And I just went with it. Um, there's some songs on, uh, do you have any of those, uh, do you have those discs? I'll get them. Okay. Because there's some songs on those discs 
that you can really tell um, 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 if I could. Um, I'm trying to find myself at that point into a whole new deal. So you got if I could. Um, I remember writing. Um, you, I thought, was a really good song. You is by the babies. So that's a cover. It's a cover. I did not know that. And uh, also, do you, do you remember, right, one of my most challenging songs, uh, some of those songs, um, there's a song there called Show Me. You gotta show me, show me, show me. That, I mean, I mean <laughs> they were peeking me out in the studio <laughs> and all that one. But So uh, one of my favorite songs, man, that I, I think that I, I feel really proud of is on the Once or More, which if anybody out there doesn't know, um, there were three discs re released um, by a company in, in Nashville, um, actually Madison, Tennessee, called uh, F&A Records, which you can get now. Um, and they released three discs, one's a live disc, um, and then the other discs are demos, basically. None of them are, are, are mastered stuff. It's all demos that we did, and it's a good listen to find out songs that you're never going to hear. And then there's the demos. The times are changing on there. Some demos of Rockabye Baby on there. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a live cut uh, Milwaukee Fest of Rob the Cradle, which I thought was turned out pretty Y'all do the, uh, the Beatles, We Can Work It Out? Man, I gotta tell you something. So Zeke Zeke Logan from Rock 103, or back in the day, um, he kind of broke Roxy Blue on radio. Uh, at that time, you know, they they were not allowed to play local music, not in regular rotation. And Zeke did it, and I think uh, Drake didn't really care for it too much that he did that. But they got a lot of calls, so it was cool. But I remember. Um, that Zeke Logan, um, we did an interview with, uh, actually, I think the interview we did on that was, uh, it might have been with uh, Greg Robertson. I don't know. I, I remember us doing that and doing it live in the studio, and they recorded it. And Scotty T actually put a phone book, a yellow page phone book, up against, they taped it to the wall, and he kicked his kick drum, his pedal, on the, on the, on the book. That's what we got the kick from, because we had to have we were doing weird stuff to make sounds. Right, um, man, I sound like I'm 12 on that record. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember we 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 did a lot of weird stuff. I mean, um, we did some songs that to me were like not even all the way written. You know, we were just one of those bands that just like, hey man, that sounds good. Let's just do it. Um, um, there's a I don't even know what the name of the song is, but isn't there a song on there like uh, it almost and look. It almost has that Uncle Tom's Cabin feel, which was written way before Uncle Tom's Cabin, by the way. Uh, but anyway, so long story short, on the, with the F&A records, um, we released the demos with F&A, which you can get out now. But it's just a bunch of tunes that we went into Cotton Row Studios here in Memphis and cut. We, we recorded some of the stuff with Rusty McFarland, um, who lives in Clarksville now. Hey, he's a great producer. So it was just a lot of like hybrid musicians, like uh, different people that played with me. Still some of the Roxy guys. I mean, it was just always if Scotty didn't make it, I had Jimmy Fault play. <clears throat> um, which kind of became 
It's weird. Roxy Blue, with the departure of Scotty, we got Jimmy Fulp, who ended up playing in my band, 714, um, on the drums. And we turned into a band called Sugar Ditch. So that just hybrid right into Sugar Ditch. But I'm, I just couldn't. I was this guy that was like, they were like, well, hey, man, we're going to use these songs and these songs and these songs. And I'm like, no, man, we're going to write all new songs. It's a new band. Well, we'd already kind of gotten started in the studio, like with Black Sky and stuff like that. And um, so that's, we were in Sugar Ditch, and, and then we were opening, we got, to, we were opening for bands like, I mean, I remember opening for Tesla at 616. I mean, dude, and I knew the guys from Geffen, so, man, it was cool, man. And, and you know, I, we did, we started doing some cool gigs, and that was a hot band. I really liked it, man. It was me and Wayne Sweeney and Josh Wild and Jimmy Falk. And um, I think that band went on for a little bit. I mean, it was real hazy part of my life, man. You know, um, I was doing a lot of drugs back then. I mean, I really was. Um, and so I don't know if I was doing drugs that just to deal with everything that was going on, or excuse me, or if I was just doing drugs that just to do drugs I don't know but it was I was in a I was in a good place and a bad place at the same time so um but I wrote some really good songs and I think it was a good segue into before, to the next uh, part of my life before we move on to man, walking talking I don't know any story of that but that I you know what it's one, weird um it's, me and Sid wrote that song and you know, me and Sid wrote a lot. I mean, we lived together. We wrote a lot of freaking songs together. And I don't really know that I remember the exact story behind that. I mean, we would just write songs, man, and we never analyzed them, you know, back then. We just said, oh, yeah, man, that sounds cool. We wrote it. Let's do it. And I don't even know if this is on those records, but is there a record? There's a... There was a song I wrote about a dude I knew that got killed in a car accident. And uh, I don't even know the name of the song. People laugh at me all the time because I remember, like, even guys that I play with now, they go, hey man, you remember that song you wrote? No. No, I don't. I've written so <coughs> many songs and I write songs for other people too. So I'm just like, you know, I guess you know at some point in your life when you're writing a lot of songs when you have to have to actually have to go back and look it up in your catalog to see if that's one well, of the ones you wrote. Before we completely move on from Roxy, this is kind of a, a random question, but so the album won't some. You cannot buy it on iTunes. It's not on Spotify. The only way you can get it is used on Amazon for like thirty seven, thirty eight dollars. There's a reason behind that, well, probably. Why won't Geffen? I mean, at least it, put it on iTunes. I realize if it's not, I mean, yes, yeah, certain yeah. albums aren't in production. Yeah, it's anymore. not on iTunes. And if you go to like Amazon, there's numerous people saying, "We want, you know, why is it want some, you know, why can they not just give at this point turn that over to you?" Man, you would think. I mean, they, people people are paying thirty eight dollars for the album now. You know, used. Well, the only. And look, I'm not sure. All I can say is the only thing I can think of would be, um, you know, Geffen sunk a lot of money into Roxy Blue. So they own that record. I mean, I can't just, 
I guess it's there, and you know they don't probably give a crap about that record now. But you know, that's their deal. I mean, I mean it can't be reproduced by anyone else. So once the it's, once it's gone, it was gone. And I now, mean, I know there were some people bootlegging it. So, but yeah. you wonder how? I mean, how it'd be so simple just to put it on iTunes. iTunes, yeah. You know? I mean, really, they could make some other money. They're not putting the money into fiscal products. You know, put it, put it I mean, available for I streaming. Can, I can upload my podcast to iTunes for free. You can upload music to it for free. That's why I just don't, because there is a market out there. I mean, we had so many people like send me messages or text or whatever, just loving the interview because they got to hear from Todd Poole. I mean, you know, that's, that's I'm honored by it. And I, I got to tell you, one thing that that I truly believe in is like, it seems weird because you know I've always you know. Well, we used to be really caught up. You know, I was like, you're on a fast train, and you don't know when it's going to stop. And man, you're just your 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 head swirling. You, you just don't take the time to just put your foot down and soak it in. You know, and you're so moving so fast. But if 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 I did anything, I hope that once um that it if it if it helped somebody, changed somebody's life, made somebody feel good. A song I wrote made somebody feel good. Because in my life, I've always realized that radio, media, or whatever, they can put a halt to something, or they can make something that might not necessarily be anything. If they drive it down your throat, you're going to know that, oh, wow, that's the thing everybody's listening to. Now everybody's going to listen to it. So... And it becomes trendy, you know, and then people go, oh, well, it ain't cool to listen to that anymore. And I think that's what happened with that whole era of music. And, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. That's life. But I, I, I gratefully am honored that there's a lot of people out there that they come up to me and they're like, hey, man, you know, I met my wife at a Roxy Blue show and 25 years ago or 30 years ago. And I, I mean, we're still together or, you know, um, you know, that was the best time of my life or this song, you know, Nobody Knows changed me. You know, it 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 changed my whole outlook of life and or something like that. And, you know, it, at that point, I'm like, wow, man, you know, when you're as a songwriter, that's like priceless. You know, that I just when you're sitting down there writing that song, you really you're not really thinking Am I going to move somebody to change their life? And so, so no matter what's happened in my life, that's cool because you know, obviously, I, 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 you always ask yourself, have you done anything to, to uh, contribute to this world, this mad world we live in? And um, I guess that would be my answer. That if, if my songwriting, you know, even to this day. You know, even when we get into the 714 stuff, I mean, I've had people email me saying, dude, that's you heavy, saved my life. Stuff. If you just reach one person, I mean... Oh, that's, right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's all worth it. Well, I mean, hey, I've, I've burned through uh, three Quonsom CDs, and it, it couldn't <laughs> get any more. So, so, so Chris had to... Chris had to had you got the one on cassette? I don't have it on cassette. Just oh, yeah. the CDs. The first one, I just wore completely out. It wouldn't work anymore. And then the last two, I scratched up, and uh, yeah. So finally, about a year ago, I was like, "Man, I need I need a copy of Walt's yeah. song." Well, uh, I will say this: what before we move on to the next thing, I will say one thing. So I, we, when we got approached by F and A Records, um, 
you know, Anthony Corder from uh, the guys on tour, they're, they're really good friends. And Anthony and I, like I said before, we go out and do gigs together and do acoustic shows. So if anybody out there listening and wants me and Anthony to come do an acoustic show in your town, you know, let us know and we'll come do it. Um, we got approached by F&A Records and they've been really good to us. And so we, me and Scotty got together and we, we pretty much put these songs together and Scotty went in and kind of re-recorded some stuff and not re-recorded but just kind of got the sound right because I mean a lot of this stuff was recorded on and then put on cassettes and then over time and we couldn't even save some of it so it was analog oh yeah so we couldn't save some of it I had to go to some of the studios we recorded and go hey man you got any of that two inch tape back there where I need to convert it and so it was a lot of work but anyway um, I'm really proud that a company reached out to us and and we got some good stuff going on right now and I, and I want to leave that at this on this segment of, of, of what I'm talking about is that anybody out there that is, is is has a question I'm getting ready to answer Roxy Blue with Wayne Sweeney Scotty T Josh and myself will be working on a new CD to hopefully come out this next year and we have been approached by a record company to do it so and that's about as far as I can go with that but we are going to be working hard to come out with some classic Roxy Blue with a hopefully it'll have a new twist on it but you know we're going to make a good record so and we, we hope, are alive and, and well, by the way. And, 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 and we hope all four of you come on our podcast and talk oh, about it. Oh, yeah, we will. Of, I was going to say that. We, when, that. when that happens, we'll come on. And I'm sure me and Sweeney will probably be here before that yeah. promoting our new record, which <laughs> right. we'll be talking Can't about. Can't wait. Yeah. Well, so as we start going to the reinvention of Toddpool, we do. The reincarnation. We, we, we talked about um, Sugar Ditch, briefly touched on that. But your time from really reinventing was kind of short-lived you know it wasn't it didn't take that long and you came out i mean when you talk when people talk about reinventing i don't think they really realize how you did it it wasn't behind a microphone you know which was a little bit different well actually i had a lot of baby bands that did really good were some of my favorite bands i had a band called screaming jesus that kind of spawned um to me screaming jesus was right after sugar ditch and actually, excuse me, Screaming Jesus, I don't know why, I, I got I get confused because I got so much going on, but I remember I had, Sweeney and I started something after Screaming Jesus, but Screaming Jesus was a band that I wrote, a, that was where I, my first band that I actually played, I was the only guitar player. It was just, and then, and then I got a guy named David Flexer to start playing, so I had another guitar player. So, but that was a, a lot of me, you know, um, and then I had, um, and then this is where, what you're saying, this is after that, um, me and Wayne Sweeney, um, were playing with a guy named Matt Dees on bass, um, and we had a guy named Jeffrey Horror on drums who played in a band called TNA, and, um, we had a band, and we really didn't have a name, we had a buttload of songs man and they sounded great we were rehearsing i had a great studio underneath my house that we built um we could rehearse all night long it was underground it was just great soundproof we would sit up all night and jeffrey had some issues with uh trying to 
do a custody battle thing with his kids, man, and he stepped up like a great dad and said, hey, man, you know, I'm going to fight for my kids. We were cool. And we're just kind of sitting there going, what are we going to do? And somebody suggested that we call Josie. Josie Scott, who was playing in a band called Blackbone, but they broke up. So I said, well, me and I've been, I play drums. So me and Wayne had been kind of working on some stuff, you know, when everybody was gone and I was playing drums and we'd stay up all night doing whatever, but I'd play drums, Wayne play guitar. So we called Josie and he came over one night. He showed up like two hours late, and, but he shows up. We have no idea what we're gonna do, but me and Wayne said, look, we got these two songs that we've been working on. I'm playing drums, Matt's playing bass, Wayne's playing guitar, Josie starts singing, and he basically screams the whole time. I mean, just rah. Well, Matt didn't get it. Matt's like, dude, if you ain't singing, I can't do this. So Matt left. Well, me and Wayne heard something. We heard something, and I was like, man. So we got in John Guttery, who plays with Every Mother's Nightmare. Now, at the time, I said, man, I got this guy. He's perfect. He's like Cousin It. He's got long black hair, and he's just quiet, and he plays gray bass. His name's Dave. So, okay. So I met Dave, and he came over, and so looked like we had a band. I didn't talk, I don't even think I talked to Dave that much for about a month. He just didn't talk much, but he played great bass. And we started writing songs, man. And next thing you know, Saliva was born. Right then and there, dude. And we had some good songs. We were like, dude, we got something. And we went out and played. And we played the Omni New Daisy Theater right here in Memphis, four piece. Chris Baldo was sitting on the front row, looking right there at us. Came up to us afterwards and said, dude, I love this band. And we said, good, because we need another guitar player. <laughs> so he joined. And that's when Saliva really started. I mean, that's when, that's when, like you're saying, Chris, is like, I it's weird, because I was like reinvented myself one way but I always had the love of playing drums. And dude, we went in and cut a record, man. And that's the record that got him the record deal. I mean, we cut it quick. Um, man, I mean, it was a great experience. And that band kind of was a, it was a weird situation in Memphis. You know, you had the Roxy days with Tour Tour and all that. And that was awesome. And then there was like a, like a dark, darkness came over and you know in Seattle everybody says well you know all those guys you know when the Seattle scene came in it was all negative and everything well they were just talking about what nobody everybody else was scared to talk about and that's reality the reality is that every day of life is not awesome right. you know um, but anyway that's how saliva came out we had that rap rock kind of thing and and one thing I'll say about saliva is it was unforced so if you if you've ever heard the first saliva record, it just has the they changed the they actually changed the cover after I got out of the band, but it was an S and it said saliva, and dude, like 
we just went for it. Like every time I sang, me and Josie never sat down and said, hey, dude, you sing on this part and whatever. I just sang when I felt like singing, and Josie, it just worked. It was just one of those bands that just, I remember Jason Flom from Atlantic. I remember that we had hooked up with Brian Coleman, which was Nickelback's management. And I remember we hooked up with him, and and uh, and they had gotten our our CD to Jason Flom. And I remember Jason Flom said he was driving in his car, and for the first time in a long time, he said he found himself not going to the next track. He just listened to it, and he said before he knew it, he was six tracks into it, and he never went past one. So we were like, dude, we're going to do something. Well, he, what he did, they gave us five grand to go in the studio and cut some more stuff. And that was a weird thing, man, because Chris and Josie, and I have all the respect in the world for them, and, jo and, Chris, and Josie's a great songwriter, but, um, man, they just had this idea that we had to write a hit, and we had to write a pop hit. And we got the, away. The, the record company or No, or us. I mean, Josie and Chris were like, you know, and, I, and no disrespect to them because I love them to death. But I'm saying they just, something clicked with them where they, I think we, we, we thought we were under so much pressure. We thought we had to do, we had to get away from what we were doing. And I'm thinking, what he liked about us the most was what we'd already done. But it was a weird situation for us because we had to, it's like, okay, well, here's some money. So you felt like, well, we have to write the song that's going to get us the deal, you know? So we were trying to write the hit. And we wrote, we went into Ardent, and um, man, we, it was a, it's a good demo, what we wrote. I think we did like four, three or four songs. And it's good. It's really, it was good. And we did it quick. And I'll never forget sitting in my BMW in my garage and everybody was piled in the car because they had Bose speakers. And I remember us listening to it going, man, this is really good. We're going to lie, you know. And nothing happened, man. We never got another call back from that. But we did get, we did start getting some calls from other companies and stuff. And, and, and then that's when all the, there's some stuff went down and, and, and then saliva, there was a weird time that happened with that. And, um, and then I, I was no longer, I, I, I chose to leave the band. And, um, and of course, everybody knows within probably a year, year and a half after that, they made their record and every six seconds and they took off. They hit it a good time and they took off. And, you know, I was fortunate enough that I had co-written five songs on that record. So I didn't lose out completely. <laughs> well, how hard was that to go from being the front man to not being the front man, because that man actually, I, I actually, I, 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 I liked it for a minute because I'd been out my whole life. I'd played drums and sang, and and then I went out front, and then I'd play drums in a band. But after being in Roxy and being out front and like being, you know, responsible for the, right, right. a lot of the show, so I kind of was kind of digging it. You know, it was like. It took some pressure off of me. It's like I needed that for a minute. You know, it's like I'd step back for a second. I love playing drums, but 
I kind of, and I love being the, I love being out front, but it was a great moment for me to like go, man, you know what? Let me try this for a while, you know, and not be the guy out front, not be the guy that's noticed, you know, let me play drums. Let me, let me just do that. And and I think it was good for me. Um, in which weird, I was really into motorcycle racing. Um, I've ridden motorcycles my whole life, dirt bikes and stuff, but I really got into, to, um, road racing, you know, dragging knees and doing all that. And, um, so I was doing that too. And then after I, after Roxy was, I mean, after, excuse me, after saliva was over, I really got into it hard and heavy. And, um, and then one night before I was going to do a race, I hit a telephone pole at 90 miles an hour. So that stopped me for a year from basically doing anything. But I ended up, and this is weird because I, I had a cast on my right leg all the way up to my waist. And my lips, everything was just messed up. I was talking like that, you know. But I love to play music. So I had the guys, I had two new guys. I had Matt Dees and Lonnie Hammer. They were playing with me. So. They, they used to carry me downstairs to my studio and set me in a chair and so we could start our new band. <laughs> and my dad at the time, I remember him telling me, son, you know, it doesn't really look like you're going to be playing any, maybe never again. Yeah, I don't want to tell you that, but things aren't looking good for you right now. So, but I did get over that. And that was the beginning of a band called Rail. We had, yeah, we had that on our list. <laughs> Which I actually had two... Two versions of rail. Um, so the first version was a three-piece band. That's all it was. I played guitar, um, and I had a bass player and a drummer, and wrote all new songs. I had a slew of songs in my catalog. Didn't want to play any of them. Want to play all new. It's a new band, new sound. That's just how I've always been, you know. And man, that was a good band, and we. We, we recorded this little demo, man, um, and in like a garage, and it was cool, man. It was just it was just the vibe. It was a great time of my life. I was healing, and and everything was good. And I remember standing up one day, and all my cartilages popped, and I'm like, oh wow, I can walk again, you know. So every, that was a good time, and I was back. So there was a lot that happened in between there, but I was back. But um, that so that rail turned into um, that was over. Like it went on for a little bit, and and then we I ended up um, and it was a kind of a, a space I can't really remember a lot of, but but I remember uh, we called the band Rail, and it was uh, it was like. Uh, Sean Fitzgerald and uh, Michael Spann and uh, Vince Hood, Patrick Francis from Tora Tora, and uh, and me, and we did a uh, we did a CD, dude, and it was wicked. I loved it. We did it quick. It was awesome, and I loved that CD. And so I remember my wife and I were playing an acoustic gig in a pub one afternoon at like Huey's or something and all the guys came walking in 
and we're up there playing, and they're like going, trying to wave like they need to tell me something. So we're finishing our last song, and they come up to me and go, hey, there's somebody on the phone that wants to talk to you. I'm like, what? And it's David Draymond from Disturbed. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, here you go. Here's the phone. So I get on the phone. He's like, hey, dude, what's up? We heard y'all's CD. We want you to come on, do do some shows with us. And I'm like, huh? Is this a joke? They were really like, big at that time too, right? Huh? They were really big. They at were that starting time too. to really hit. Yeah, they were. They were doing great. So I'm like, okay. So what? They we want you to come to Cleveland. It's already sold out, and it's Disturbed, Chevelle, Taproot, and Rail. We pull up our names on the ball marquee. I'm like, this is freaking cool, man. Great band. Um, another band that's self-destructed. It's like, I guess when Roxy Blue opened up for Spinal Tap, our first show, I guess that it kind of, um, you know how all their drummers blew up. Yeah. Right? It must have rubbed off on me somewhere because every band I was getting in, we, as soon as we started to really happen, boom! It was like somebody but, blew up. But on the flip side, it's three different times you were able to do it, though. When most people would kill to have one shot, you know? Well, you know, man, everything I do, I just try to shoot to do the best I can, and, and hopefully I can, you know, get, get something going. But I remember that a lot of people still like that, man. Um, we had this song called Black uh, that I just thought was a great song. And I think it, t- I think it, it really hit a lot of people. They really liked it. I still have people this to this day... Dude, whatever happened to Rail, man, you know? So, anyway. Um, but that was that band, and that was... Um, man, I'm going to say that, you know, and I, I met my, my wife when I was in that band, so, you know, that's going to be around the uh, 2001, something like that. Somewhere in that area. And my wife that hears this, she'll wonder, you don't know exactly when, but let's just say it was around that area. But um, that was, um, when that was over, believe it or not, I was kind of, I, I, I took some time off because I was like, after one after band, one after another, and just, I was like, man, you know, what am I going to do now? So I had to kind of reinvent myself again because I just I'm, I'm this big stickler on not sounding. I don't want to just do a hybrid of this band, a hybrid of this band. It's like okay, let's wipe the slate clean. Let's start over. So and you know where I'm going with this. So mm-hmm. yeah, just go ahead. I mean, so next up, I guess we're talking about seven fourteen. And man, how, how long was the gap? I guess actually, after? it wasn't seven fourteen to begin with. People, it was a band. I start well. Let's see. Um, man, I'm going to say a year. Well, I'm just going somewhere. I started writing some songs, and I got a phone call from uh, my cousin. He was like, dude, are you doing anything? And he was the original drummer of Roxy Blue, mm-hmm. Ronnie Knight. And he's like, uh, man, you, are you doing anything? I was like, man, uh, no, uh, um, I've been writing songs. Why you want to get something together? And I was like, yeah. So I, I had gotten this rehearsal room at this place, and 
I used to just go down there and hang out. So I was like, cool. So we started jamming, and I got um, I got Chris Turnbow, and he plays with the Brian Howell Band now, but uh, from Bad Company deal. But so we started jamming, man, and um, and I got a. Actually, you know what? Let me back up for a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. I had a guy named Scott Jones. I went into the studio. Basically, I didn't even really, we didn't have a band that actually rehearsed at the time. I don't think. And then we just kind of like, I wrote, wrote these songs and I wanted to cut a record. So we went into this, uh, went into this studio and uh, I just took time off from my job and everything. I said, look, man, I, I got to, and the dude I was working for was like, dude, I love this stuff you're writing. Tell you what. Well, and you'd been on a nonstop train for a while. This dude paid me to go to work. I was doing warehouse work. I was working at a, like a tile um, um, showroom out in Olive Branch, Mississippi, and it was like, it was mainly for commercial people, so I didn't get a whole lot of business in because we got a lot of call orders. So I was there by myself. This dude just said, bring your guitar to work and write the record while you're at work. I wrote the entire first, it was called Stiff Kitty, was the name of the band. And the, that name came from when me and Scotty T were, when we wrote Love On Me at his house one day. A cat, we heard a cat squeal and we looked out and there was a cat stuck to an electrical fence and all Scotty looked over at me and I freaked out and Scotty went, that's one stiff kitty. And I said, I'm going to call a band that one day. And hey, here we are. So we wrote this. We The, the, the first 714 CD was actually a, the Stiff Kitty CD. I just changed the name of the band. Um, but I wrote that record, man. And uh, that was a cool record. So to get into the 714 thing, that band that I had that did the... Um, the first um, 714 record um, was a cool band but it was Johnson it was guys that that ended up we, we played some cool gigs we did a gig with Tortor we did a gig with Jackal I mean it was a cool band um, but in, in the music business People don't commit sometimes, man. It's like they don't see the big picture. So they get caught up in, in, in you know, if you get caught up on something or you, you get a roadblock, you, you know, well, that's it. Anyway, that band broke up. They just didn't see the big picture. So I wasn't going to break it up. I'm like, no, nah, man, I had a, I'm going to keep 714 going. But all I had was uh, my friend Matt D's. That's it. Played bass. That's all I had. So I told Matt, look, dude, I'm going to write. I wrote some songs. I, I called my friend Jimmy Fulpup, who has a studio, mm -hmm. and I said, hey, dude, look, I got some songs. Would you record me? He's like, dude, I'd love to. Come over. And he had no idea what I had. And so I said, well, hey, man. So I'm going to do a scratch track. So I grabbed a guitar, and we got the click right, and I played the song on guitar. And then I said, okay, just give me some headphones, and I'm going to jump on the drums, and 
So I cut four songs, and I played the drums, the guitar, and I had Matt come play the bass, and I sang, and I sang all the backgrounds. And then Jimmy's listening to these songs, and American Tragic is the record I'm working on, and American Tragic was that was one of the songs, and I played drums on it. So here I am doing the Dave Grohl thing, you know, I'm cutting my own record, and I thought that's how it was gonna be. And Jimmy looks at me and says, hey dude, you gonna put a live band behind this? I'm like, I'd like to. Why, are you interested? Because he's awesome, you know, and he's like, yeah, I am. So here we go. We got 714, but we don't have a guitar player because Chris done been in my band and quit, and I'm like, so I'll call him. And I called him up, and sure enough, he said, I'm ready for you to call me. I really, I needed a break, and, but yeah, I wanna do this. I'm like, okay, cool. So we cut. American Tragic, and I just worked my butt off and wrote, I wrote, 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 wrote. And you guys did a few videos for that. Man, we did. I did one video for, actually, I did two videos for the first record. Standalone, I did in Nashville, the big production company. And then I called my buddy up, who's a video guy, man, I'm like, look, dude, I don't have... 10 grand to spend on a video or 15 or whatever the first one costs. That's me and you produce it and do it ourselves. So we did, we went out to some field and we did right. uh, World Breaks Down. All right, can I, I want to ask you about Yeah, the, go that ahead. Song. Please ask me a question because I could go forever. The, that song is so good. And it's, it's. Thank you. It's there again. It's you reinvent, reinventing yourself because, I mean, it's just a beautiful song, but it doesn't sound like anything else you've done. You guys had the video to it. And I don't know why that is. I just think I change. I mean, I don't try. You can tell if somebody's trying to change. I right. mean, I just write right. from whatever. Whoever I become is whoever I become. I just write a song, and whatever emotion I'm feeling is what comes out. And I think everybody, I mean, I, I change. I mean, my sound probably changes in time as I go along. And sometimes it, even if I write something on my own, which is normally the case, sometimes the people you play with, kind of, that's what kind of creates that sound. So if you're lucky, you can hit on a sound that, that hey man, that sounds good, if you're lucky. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you saying that because I, I really, I, a lot of people have come up to me about that song. And we didn't even have, we, when we cut the video, we didn't have a guitar player. I mean, that was it. So if you'll notice in the video, there's only three of us. Mm -hmm. um, so. Um, Y'all out in a field, right? We're out in a field, man. And just one day shoot, just the three of us and a guy named Lee Finn who cut. Our videos, but I think Chris saw that video and he's like, "Dude, you know." So he gets in the band um, when I, when we started doing um, the American Tragic CD. Which the one thing about the American Tragic, I love the first 714 CD. I really do. Which was the Sif Kitty. So if anybody's confused, it's the same thing. It's the black record with that on it. But um, I really love that record. But I didn't want to make the second record. I didn't want to make the same record again. So it was important that I did something different. And I thought that 
I thought I did that with the American with the American American Tragic's heavier. It's heavier and it doesn't. I mean, it still sounds like the same band, but not. You know what I'm saying? It still sounds like me. Um, I'm real proud of a lot of songs. On I was going through a time of my life, and my wife and I were talking about it one day because she's always like, you know, your songs. You know, everything you write is something you experience. So I've written a few songs that I'm like, well, that's true, but not always true. It's not. I mean, sometimes I'll write a song and it just, it, it feels good to me. You know, it might not be a story behind it. You know, I try to write songs that can relate to everyone. Like if I think one thing about it when I write it, it's okay if, if somebody else gets com- something completely different out of it you know I don't that's why a lot of times I don't really try to explain what my songs are about because it might take away from the perception that someone else has about the song well, right that's the, what I want somebody the, to get what they want the out classic of. example of that is Alive by Pearl Jam if you listen to those lyrics that's nothing to be happy about but Eddie Vedder you hear the chorus right but Eddie Vedder has said so many people have taken that on as a you're a survivor and they, they listen to that song now you know as a that they're a survivor. And it probably makes him feel great that they got that out of it. Right. So, so what my, um, so in this era of American Tragic, and of that 714, of that record, was uh, Matt Dees, Chris Turnbow, um, Jimmy Fulp, and myself. And that was, that band, like, stayed together. I mean, we were like, we got something. You know, this is good. We were playing with a lot of bands. We were starting to get a pretty good following. Um, and I feel great about it. I mean, I really did. I mean, we, we did a Jackal show again. I mean, that was a, man, that was a great show. And Are those guys um, wild? Yeah, I mean, I knew Jesse from oh. back in the day. And I mean, you know, with Roxy, um, we had the same lawyer, Jim Zumwalt. But, uh, yeah, they're cool guys, man. You know, they're cool. I mean, Jesse's got it together. I mean, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but he's responsible for a lot of the reality shows on MTV. Did not know yeah, that. Yeah, like, uh, no. yeah. Did not know that at all. Like, uh, what's uh, what's, uh, what's uh, Friday Night Lights or whatever? Is that, what's that called? Um, I, I, just know the t- I just know the TV series, but yeah. that wasn't a reality. But anyway, I haven't they, watched MTV yeah, since well, they quit playing yeah, video. Um, <laughs> me neither, dude. Yeah, so but yeah. hey, I'm sure that Jesse has. He's done yeah. quite well. But yeah, he's a cool guy, man. And he, he's got his head together. And he, you know, his son plays drums for Waylon, which has got a new release coming out, which is, uh, man, they just came out with it. But anyway, um, so the American Tragic thing uh, with 714, it was... It, it went on for basically up to not too long ago. I mean, we we were doing really good on internet radio. I mean, um, I mean, really good. Um, but man, like all good things, man, it was just starting to tread water, man. And it was like, man, you know, Chris went off to play with Brian Howe and. Um, I just, I don't know, man, you know, you, you know, when something feels good and you know, when something's starting to kind of, uh, fizzle out, it's like, we, we played that record enough, you know? So do we make another one? And it just divide. I just didn't feel it anymore with those. And, and I love the guys, man. I mean, I do, but I was like, and Wayne Sweeney from, um, saliva, me and him are, we, we've remained great friends and he's been we've kind of 
dabbled in, man, we need to make a record together. And people are like, dude, y'all need to make a record together. And, and we wanted to, but it's like finding the time. And so <clears throat> in between all this, um, I was kind of, I guess, downtime, I guess. I mean, I'm still playing. And um, I went through a period. I know we kind of skipped over this, but I did go through a period while I was playing with 714 where um, before my father-in-law passed away, Jimmy Jameson, um, I went, um, he asked me to come play drums on a gig with him if I wanted to come out and play drums. His drummer was, couldn't make it or something. And I was like, hey man, sure, I'd love to. Um, and I guess I did pretty good because he kept me. So I started playing gigs with him. Um, and man, I was playing some big shows. How long was this and how, what year? I probably played with, I mean, I probably only played with Jimmy for like a year or two, you know, but, but it was, felt up, like it was a lot longer than that. You, you played all over the world with him, didn't you? Well, kind of. I mean, yeah, I guess, I, yeah, I guess, you know, I don't think we, I played everywhere in the world, but I, I do remember. Um, I mean, he had such an impact on people, man. I mean, he had a great voice, but he was a great front man. And, and he was so great with people, like off stage. I mean, he was so good. I mean, he taught me. I'd always tried to reach out to each and everybody that I could, but he showed me that, I mean, this guy's an international, you know, voice. I mean, Casey Kasem called him the voice. He pegged him as the voice. But man, Jimmy always treated everybody as an equal. It was so cool to watch him do that. Well, I, I told you this that my my uh, my father worked for the old Bill Tanner company. Oh Me yeah, yeah. He used to do all the jingles and, there, and the commercials. Jimmy yeah. Jameson would come in there to do the jingles. Basically, and I, lived there, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. And my dad said, you know, he was just he. My dad told me this before we ever made. That a was connection. the place to do them. Too. Yeah, he, my dad told he told me this. Several times before, like he was such a good guy. He was like just a, the nicest guy in the world. And my dad has always said, "Man, did he have a voice on him?" Man, I'm gonna tell you. For example, uh, we played. God, I'm, I'm trying to remember where it was, man. But I'm, let's just let's say Iowa. <laughs> anyway, we were playing somewhere, and we were playing with Peter Cetera of Chicago, and dude. It was set up. The setups were always really nice. But I remember it was a humongous storm. Basically, it was blowing the stage down. So they had to cancel. And there was a lot of people that paid to go to that show. And I guess they were going to get their money. But Jimmy felt... Jimmy was... This is the first time it really hit me about Jimmy. So Jimmy said, well, what can we do? And somebody had mentioned about going and put, well, they had, what they did is that they got everybody safe into this. There was a building near the venue. It was an outdoor thing. It was a big gymnasium. And it wasn't far from the venue, so they piled everybody in there. I mean, this is a huge store. So Jimmy, I remember sitting in there, and I overheard Jimmy talking to somebody, and they said, he goes, well, hey, dude, can y'all get us some instruments? And the guys started scrambling around, and I guess I knew this, this guy had this, whatever. So somehow, 
these guys scrambled up some instruments and put them in that gym. And Jimmy was going to make sure that these people did not walk away without a show. And I was just overwhelmed by that. Yeah, I remember Jimmy calling Peter Cetera going, hey, dude, you should come down here. You know, people are freaked out by the storm, but people wanted to really see it. Peter would not come. He wouldn't go. So Jimmy said, okay, well, cool. Jimmy never thought, well, I'm too, not too big of a star to do this. Dude, we played an entire set for these people, man. It was insane. Look, they had brought this equipment that was, you know, it wasn't the greatest equipment. I remember kicking the bass drum the first time and it almost flew across the room. <laughs> there were two guys that held my bass drum while I played the entire show. We had a great time. But I remember going to Trinidad with Jimmy and... Man, they picked us up in Range Rovers. I mean, they just, I'm watching this going, man, dude, they're treating this guy like the president of the United States over here. And he was first class. And we played, I remember that gig was a, I'll never forget that gig because it was just really touching to me. It was a sold out cricket stadium, an old cricket stadium. Mm -hmm. It was like 22, 23,000 people. And we're in a third world country, man. And I mean, they got SWAT. Their SWAT was our security. I, I mean, we played with, it was um, Michael Bolton, uh, Richard Marks, which was absolutely an amazing guy and an amazing artist. He's got such a good singer. Great show. Um, and Rick Springfield and us. And um, I remember trying to go out. I mean, and the stage was, it was all top notch. I mean, they had two drum sets set up and which one do you want? And I mean, it was like, this stage would revolve and your drums would come down and when you're done, the next, it was awesome. So it was like something out of a sci-fi movie actually. But the place was packed and I remember, hey man, I'm just a drummer in Jimmy's band. Nobody knows who I am, right? And um, so I remember going out and one of the security SWAT guys said, hey, dude, I'll walk you out there. I said, man, I want to watch Richard Marks' show. Man, I, was, I like Richard Marks. Man. He's, a, you know, he's, he's just really good, you know. Um, so I remember being out there, and his boss came up and said, hey, dude, uh-uh. I guess it was dangerous for me to be out there. Man, I'm a nobody, you know. I didn't think any of these people know. Well, I found out later by even being on the road with Jimmy, it got to the point where Jimmy had to, they set up a table for Roxy Blue. Wow. How weird is that? There were people showing up to Jimmy Jameson shows with Roxy Blue albums and stuff. Jimmy's like, in 714, we gotta go set his own swag table up. I'm like, dude, I That's feel gotta weird. make you feel good. It made me feel good, but it almost made me kind of feel weird. It's like, well, dude, it's kind of your show. It's like, yeah, dude, but... You know, these people are out here holding your stuff up. Maybe you might want to talk to them. So, right. anyway. Do I, do I have this wrong in my head? Tell me if I do. He did the theme song for Baywatch, right? He wrote the lyrics to Baywatch. I have the original lyrics to Baywatch hanging in my house on a piece of paper. In a frame. Right. So did and he sang on Times Are Changing while he was out in L.A. when he did the Baywatch. All right. So when... No numbers. But when he does that, does he get a cut from the show for that? Or was it like a one-time fee? Because that was the biggest show in the world at one point. Well, I don't want to... Well, I, I don't know how they worked all that, but I would imagine that he made some... 
pretty good money. Yeah, yeah. That's what I, my I, wife could probably tell you. <laughs> no, I, just, I don't see none of that. That was just, uh, you know, that was the biggest show in the world. And, and he, you know. Man, they asked awesome. him to do it. And he came in. He wrote the lyrics to it. and um, Probably like that, huh? I don't know. I didn't, I, I, I'd be honest with you, I knew Jimmy back then, but he was not my father-in-law. One of the things that Chris and I discussed last week after after you left, because Todd stayed here for a little bit afterwards and we talked, it's it's really cool to see you speak about him. Like, you have a genuine just respect and love for him. Uh, and it was, we, we both picked up on that. It's surreal, know? though. You got to imagine when I was a kid, when I was 12 years old and got the Target record that Jimmy was on, that my friend gave me that I talked about in the last interview. I mean, he was a big influence on why I'm even playing music. And as years went on, to meet him was one thing. And then I've played on, you know, uh, and I'm going to talk to you about something here in a minute that I'm going to get on, but when he played in the band Cobra, you know, which I'd like to play a song today from that band that he did. Um, I've actually played with those guys at the tribute that I do. That's what I want to talk to you about. But what you're saying is like to meet him and then I started hanging out with him here and there, you know, go over to the studio at his house. And then for him to sing on our record and we knew each other, man. And then all of a sudden to meet his daughter and then go, whoa, next thing I know I'll marry his daughter and then I'm his son-in-law it's weird to me. I mean, to, it was, it's really weird because he was one of the biggest influence on me singing. Right. And I would have never in a million years thought that it would have made full circle like that. And he was a genuine, I mean, we played ping pong a lot. We played horseshoes a lot. We played rock and roll a lot. And he was just a great, great guy. And I miss him. I mean, I ain't gonna lie, man. I mean, he's... He's in our hearts every day at my house. I mean, so, and we don't have to go to, you know, my wife will be at Kroger and hear, you know, how on you or something. Oh, or such a good search is over. <laughs> yeah, in, in Kroger. I mean, you know, you think most people, I mean, it is an honor. But, I mean, you got to think, she's, she's a, she has a hard time, man. She really does to this day. She still does. But she's very proud of her father. He really he, uh, we have a lot of people from around the country still reach out to us. And I want to say on that note that every year, um, a guy named Scott Ennis, who is the voice of Scooby-Doo and Scrappy and Shaggy and all that, he's, he's a good friend of Jimmy's. And he reached out to me and Amy, and I became really good friends with him. And he reached out to us right after Jimmy passed away. And he said, look, I know it's early, but I really want to keep your dad's name alive. And in the process, I want to, his favorite, my, 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 uh, Jimmy's favorite charity is St. Jude. So he said, well, look, we want to hold a concert every year. Well, at first it was going to be one year. We brought Mickey Thomas to Starship in. Mm-hmm. We brought Mike Reno from Loverboy in. John Cafferty and Tunes from the Beaver Brown Band. Um, uh, Larry Stewart from Russ's Heart. I mean, we brought all these people in. And, uh, um, um, uh, Jim Pedrick from uh, Survivor. Um, we just brought all these people the first time. And we did it at the Hard Rock in Memphis. And they treated us great. And, man, it was a, such a freaking success for St. Jude. And we always invite the people from St. Jude to come to the show. 
and present them. So we've done this. We had Chubby Checker come the second year with a slew of other artists. We had, um, and then every year, we've done it three years, we've raised over $30,000 for St. Jude in the process of just having great music, great rock and roll, keeping Jimmy's name alive. This year, we were supposed to be the week before the Brett Michaels Roxy tour show, everyone's nightmare show. And uh, we decided to move it to next April. And the reason is, is because we've got some artists that are, we want to be there that can't make it on this one. So anyway, we try to do that in Jimmy's honor. Um, we had a uh, Ricky Matlock, Matlock from uh, Leonard Skinner, Blackfoot, um, and his wife, uh, fiance Stacy, who sings with Kid Rock, who's a friend of mine. He came in and unveiled the. We had they, uh, they Leonard Skinner had contributed to paying for a, a bust. You know, mm -hmm. of Jimmy's figure and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, Hard Rock's going to put it out finally this year or this next year. Oh, that's cool. So anyway, we we try to we try to give back to to St. Jude and Jimmy's honor every year, um, and we feel really good about that. So, so April is when we're going to do it. Again. That'll be April 9th, and uh, we got some great artists, and it always is a great great show. Um, so after the Jimmy, after you know, Jimmy had a big tour set up, and. Um, Obviously, it didn't happen. Um, he passed away on my birthday, um, which was, it's kind of a bittersweet birthday every year. But um, I took some time off, man. I, I needed, I, I don't know, man. I was just, I was confused about my whole, what am I doing, you know. And a friend of mine called me. And he's like, hey, man, my son's in a band. And, uh. They're like 12 and 13 years old. Have you ever heard of them? They're called Under the Radar. And I'm like, man, I think I saw something on the internet or something about them. But he's like, well, man, would you be interested in working with them? And I'm like, no. No, man, I'm sorry. I'm just not into it. But nothing against the guys. So I never really followed them or nothing. So I'm like, so I just went on. And then about a month or two later, he calls me again. He's like, man. I want to send you some videos. They're getting a lot of hits, but they're playing cover songs, and we want them to write originals. But they wrote a couple, and they went in the studio, and we want you to know what you think. So they, he sent me to them, and I'll be honest, I was like, man, dude, I mean, they're awesome, but they're not, they're originals. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to say this to the guys, but, you know, but, you know, they're 12 and 13. Yeah. He's like, why don't you come over and meet them? I'd like you to work with them, and we'll pay you. And I'm like, well, I'll come over. If it clicks, I'll think about it. If it don't, you know, we had a good, nice day, whatever. We wrote a song in 15 minutes together. They were awesome. They were incredibly gifted on their instruments. I was freaking out. Zeke was 12 years old. And I'm going, this dude's 12? And he's shredding. I mean, ripping it. They can play B.B. King. I mean, but, and I mean, I was freaking. So, and I got along with him. And I was like, cool. So the parents were like, hey, well, can you manage them? I'm like, oh, dude, I don't know. I'll, I'll write songs for them but, and with them. Well, we want to put an EP out. So 
can you write with them? Yeah, I'll do that. So I wrote, I had, I wrote a couple of songs and then we co-wrote some songs together and we made an EP. And man, I gotta tell you, I was so proud of that. And the parents were like, you gotta manage these guys. Well, I really like the kids, man. There are three of them, and Ryan and, and uh, Zeke and Matt. And, and I started thinking, what have I been through in my life? And you got so many people. And Memphis is full of great musicians, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of people there that have that, oh, dude, you're wasting your time. You know, you'll never make it. They do everything they can negative because they didn't do it. So they didn't want anybody else to do it. Mm -hmm. I didn't want them to get I didn't want them to get that kind of advice at that young of age. So I'm like, well, wow, man, maybe I need to protect them of that. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So we came out with the first CD and they they're called Under the Radar. And they are absolutely amazing. They are opening the show on the 28th here at Bank Bank Plus Amphitheater with the Brett Michaels uh, tour tour of Roxy Blue, Every Mother's Nightmare, and Another Radar. And they're only 13 and 14 now. Well, the first record did really good. I mean, totally started getting people around the world hearing them. Mm -hmm. And so these kids are like, you know, let's do another record. Let's write some more songs. So I basically wrote a lot of this new record, and, and, it, and we just got the masters back. And I got to tell you, I'm proud of. There's eight songs on here. This record is gonna blow people's minds. I'm not lying. They might do something. I'm telling you, there. I'm getting ready to shop them. They, they're 13, 14, and 15, and all just turned. I think Zeke might be turning 14 in November, but I got to tell you. He'll flip out on this band. They've already opened for Kansas. They've opened for 38 Special. They've opened for LA Guns. They've opened for Saliva. They've opened for Better Nazareth. And they're getting ready to open for Brett Michaels. It's they've, a wide, wide And they wide played the Jimmy Jamison tribute two years in a row. So they've played. Everybody freaks out on them. They're the most humble, nicest kids in the world. But they have their eye on the prize. And I have taught them well. They are, they're very nice and very respectful, but they're, they're in it to win it. Well, I would, I would think if I were their parents and you're going to, you're going to, you know, mentor them and, and, and take them under your wing, I'm sure there were some, you feel like, you know, you, when you signed your contract, you were young. Now you weren't that young. Phew. But if I was anywhere close to as good as these kids at that age, man. <laughs> but I mean, you have the experience to know what to look for to see are they are they being taken advantage right. of, or That's one is of the somebody reasons. giving them bad advice? Uh, one of there. the reasons I stepped in is to hopefully that I can maybe get bypass some of the bad things, you know, maybe from my experience. But you know, things have changed a lot. I mean, it's not like it used to be. And I wish it was, to be honest with you. I mean, there's a good and bad thing about the internet. I mean, the internet, you know, video killed the radio. Uh, what was it? Uh, video killed the radio star? Was that the first mm -hmm. one? Well, 
Internet killed the radio, the record companies. So, I mean, in, in a way, I, I see the good thing about it because I see that there's so much talent out there that maybe can be seen now that wouldn't be seen. But I'm a kind of guy, I mean, I know that my boys at 13 and 14 years old are probably not going to be able, they can't even get into the bars to go play. So I've got to get them the big shows. I've got to get them that. I mean, any, when we played with Saliva, they wouldn't let them, they couldn't even come out front. They have to go play their shows. And a lot of shows, they got to play their shows and then they can't, they can't go out front. You know, I have to set up a swag table on the side and people have to come through a curtain and sign it. But um, the internet's good for that. And you, you get to find a lot of talent. I think the negative part of it to me, and I mean no disrespect from anybody who's out there that's on the internet doing it, but I'm a Sound City guy, like I said before. I'm a guy who's like, man, you get in there and you know how to play your instrument, you know, and you play and you work and you sweat and you go through the bad times and you clean off the cigarette smoke off your strings of your guitar and all that. I mean, I know it's not like that anymore, and I know the world is evolving into something different, but I'm a true believer. I mean, I like that when that you had to bust your ass, so to speak, to get out to to get a following, to get people to to come see you play and and hope you can impress them, you know, and then it's old school. You know, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but... It's not like that. It anymore. wasn't that long ago, but I mean, truth is, I mean, David and I could put out a record right now. Of course, it'd be horrible. <laughs> but you're, I mean, you're right. <laughs> but There's people that I mean, I remember somebody told me that they heard a record and it was pretty good. And then they asked them if they could play it live, and they said, "Well, we don't know how to play any instruments." Oh my god! So that's what I'm getting at. And I'm not saying anybody can make a record, but I am saying anybody can make a record. So, um, unfortunately for all the rock and rollers out there that have sweated through all the, the bars and, you know, Get stiff by had to wash the grit off of them and had to travel around smelling and stinking for weeks at a time just to grit their teeth, man, and just they could taste. They wanted it, you know. They were able to, they were willing to put in the work and whatever it took to get there, you know, sometimes I'm sure that they feel like maybe it was all for nothing sometimes, you know, because you're like, whoa, dude. But you can't change the way things are. That's just the way it is. You either have to adapt to the way they are now or, or waste your, or die bitching. Right. Because that's what you're going to be doing. So, um, but... What I'm getting at is the guys on the radar, they're still old school. These little kids are into classic rock. They're old school. So they know how to play their instruments. And boy, do they know how to play their instruments. They're wicked, man. I mean, Zeke will go up and play. At the end of the night, a lot of times, they'll throw Stranglehold out. Wow. Dude, it'll blow your freaking mind what they do to this song. I mean, and they put their own touch and they do some things to it. And I was, I'm blown away. Every time I see them, I'm blown away. But, 
So Under the Radar is a project that I work on. Be looking for that. I, I told them I'd give them a little problem on here. And hopefully I'll get them on the show with you guys. Yeah, we want to do it, out. for sure. Um, they they want to do it. And they're super great guys. So um, we're getting close here because I tell you, uh, me and Wayne got a new project coming out. Sweeney awesome. Pool. Um, we're... We're in the studio right now, and it's uh, Matt Dees and uh, and Jimmy Falk are playing, and uh, Wayne and I. I think it's been a great outlet for Wayne to actually write. Um, Wayne's got a lot of songs, and even with the new saliva, he's told me it's like you know Wayne's Wayne's not a forceful type person. He's a you know he's a good guy, man. He's but he's got he's a great guitar player. He's a great songwriter. But he doesn't push it on you. So if somebody comes in and overpowers with an idea, Wayne's gonna step back, you know. Um, I think he likes playing with Saliva. He likes the guys, you know, he likes Bobby, the new singer. Bobby's a great singer and songwriter too. But Wayne needs an outlet. So he came to me, he's like, dude, we gotta write a record. Well, Wayne has come up with some great stuff. Now with this band, I actually had to tell everybody, guys, look, can we all write? Because I don't want it to sound like Todd Poole only. I mean, I write everything, and I like writing, so I'm okay with writing lyrics, and I'm okay with doing a lot of the writing, but I want to hear from everybody else. That, to me, is what's going to make a special record. So we started writing, and man, we got about 10 or 11 songs, and they're all really good to me, but there's five or six of them to me that are slam dunk. How would, how would you describe the sound? So far, it's weird. It's got a... Let me think about this for just a second. Because um, I'm going to get you a copy as soon as it's done so you can play it. Um, it's got a... Um, it's hard for me to describe my own stuff a lot, but I've heard from uh, the other guys. There's a... Punky type groove feel to it um it's heavy doesn't sound anything like saliva or anything like 714 so it's got a little um velvet revolver type um rhythm type stuff i guess but it's got some punky stuff to it like rockstar junkies kind of got that swing to it um, and I say it was it would be classic Wayne guitar. Wayne's got his own thing, but you can tell it's Wayne, but it don't sound anything like saliva that makes sense. Um, and I pushed myself. I mean, I'm singing like really hard on this record. And I'm into it. I mean, we wrote a lot of songs like within two weeks. I mean, just like we were so into it. You know, it was like when you're into something, it's like anything you do in life, if you're into it, you're just going to like, you can't wait to get up right. in the morning and work on it. You right. Know? So um, I think it's really cool. I mean, Wayne was driving to rehearsal one night, and I think we only rehearsed like six times, but I remember he was driving to rehearsal and it was raining so hard he couldn't see what he was doing. And he got there and he was like, dude, I was just praying, dude, Jesus, take the wheel. We should, I, I want to write a song called that. I'm like, dude, Carrie Underwood, they've already done that, dude. He's like, what is that, like a religious song or something? I'm like, you have been out of the loop, bro. I said, look, um, he, I said, I'll tell you what. Give, 
let's talk about your situation. What happened to you on the way here? And he was telling me 18-wheeler about hit him, and he was, like, freaking out. And we literally wrote that song in 15 to 20 minutes, as far as, like, not all the lyrics, but the song. And we played it. And I'm like, look, let me go home and work with it. It's called Take the Wheel. Dude, it's awesome. I love it. It's, I love it. I mean, it's good enough to where I'm like, right now it's the, it's the beginning track, the starting track of our CD. So, so we got some really cool songs so far, but Wayne and I are both like, look, man, you know, Jimmy's like, dude, we got the songs. Let's record them and do it. And me and Wayne are like, you know, our name's on this, so let's write a few more. Right. And let's just make sure... That even if we got 20 or 25, if we're going to put 10 on there, let's make sure that they're, they're, good. they're 10 that are just going to be blowing us away. And, and we're hard to blow away. So, I mean, we want it to blow us away. So, I, I, I'm really happy with that project, though. So, is it ever tough to write when you're writing this format with, with Wayne Sweeney, when you're writing this side project, and then to go to, you know, we talked about you're going to be making a new Roxy record. Is it tough to try to write for the two different projects man I'm gonna try it, yeah because because you gotta try to make them sound different obviously I, 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 I don't think I'm gonna let them overlap so um, I've been writing a long time and that's a great question by the way so I've been writing a long time but you know Wayne's involved with me with Roxy so I want him to you know he'll probably say well dude you can write but I mean I, I want him to be involved mm -hmm. in writing it but I don't know that the Roxy stuff, like, I really want to clear my head. Like, I, 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 want, I want to write it. And I, when I get on a writing spree, sometimes I can write, like, I'll go through a search and I'll write, uh, like, a few songs, like, and get in a, in a, in a, on a roll. Um, so, with your question, that was a great question because those, I don't want those two bands to overlap. So it's important to me that I give the people, or we give the people, um, a classic Roxy Blues sound, but I can't go back and make it sound like a 1992 record. Right. Yeah. So I gotta give it a new twist. Now the Sweeney Pool thing is completely different. So I almost kind of think by the time I start writing the new Roxy record, I think the Sweeney Pool record will probably be reaching the, its peak of the end of like 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 maybe just like tweaking some stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to be heavy into writing that one. So I can at that point um, I'll be able to draw a line and clear my head and go. What I'll probably do is call Scotty and Josh and Wayne and go, Hey man, you know what we ought to do? Let's just, Scotty can drive in from Franklin. Let's just go in the room and why don't we just jam all freaking day and just record ideas and see where we're going with it. And to me, that's probably the smartest way and that'll kickstart it. But you know, with my luck, Under the Radar is going to come and go, man, we want to start on a new record. So, I mean, you know, at some point I got to start bossing things out. It would make sense, though, that, uh, you know, Scotty T and Josh, just because they could, whereas you and Wayne are working together, 
they could bring that different element to keep you all out of focused on where you where well, you've been. I think it's important because Josh actually is is a good writer, and he called the other day. I was telling him, well, hey man, you know, I got some people talking to me, and I think we're going to make a new Roxy record. And he was like, okay, cool. So does it mean I get a couple songs on the record? Because he's all everybody's always used to me doing it, and I was like. Well, if they're good, he goes, oh, yeah, they're good. I said, but, dude, it's got to kind of sound, I mean, we've all grown, you know. I don't think we're going to go back, I mean, and write that like record again. Part two. I want to write that record again. I mean, that record stands on its own. I want to write something. But I still, you know, it, it would be dumb to me to write a record that doesn't sound like Roxy Blue, you right. know. I mean, even though there's Roxy Blue, but they sound like, you know, Soundgarden. <laughs> yeah, so, um, is there any chance on at least one song on the album that you take something from that y'all had recorded and not released, like, like, uh, like "Bad to the Bullet"? Yeah, I got yeah. it. We're playing that on the twenty eighth. Oh, I'm, that's what I, we were. We we're want we'll to talk set list, maybe yeah. off of this. Yeah, we'll talk well, here's the deal. Here's the deal with that. Um, that sounds great to me because, you know, that was a song that a lot of people dug. I can't believe it didn't make the record. Um, I think we were all stunned. There were two songs that didn't make the record that we, I think all of us were. I mean, we were so excited about making a record, but Bad of the Bullet being one. And these were ones on our AB list that, you know, that we almost made it. Um, we'd be Bad of the Bullet. And I think if nobody knows, when me and Scott, I think when we wrote that one, they were looking for another ballad. So I think that, I think Mort's home stands on its own and it's fine. But Bad of the Bullet and uh, uh, Can't Take It. Girl, I can't take it no more. You know that one? Well, there was one more song I did want to ask you about. Because it's on Want Some More and it's on the 714 record, Set Me Free. Yes. And I put that on the 714 and, record and just because I, I love the I, song. I, that's what I was going to ask. It's piano oriented. You know, we played song. it in 714 at a few shows. Um, and I played the piano at the show. And we we played it a few shows and it was cool. Um, but and people have asked me about that because they're like, man, that, that was. Uh, Roxy Blue. And I'm like, yeah, it was, but I wrote it, so I'll put it on my record because right. I wanted that at the end of the record. I just felt it. It, I felt it. Um, and what had happened is I remember coming back from Nashville and uh, we were doing the songs for FNA we were doing the CDs and I remember Scotty T and I remember Scotty gave me we I got the rough tracks what the CDs will be before they packaged it and I was listening to it on the way home and I remember listening to that song and I haven't heard it in so long and I was like God I like this I mean it just it touched me and I wrote it it's me on there and I'm going whoa man it's almost like listening to somebody else right so I went to the guys and was like, look, man, I'm going to put this on the record. I mean, why not? We already got 12 freaking songs on the record. Why not add another one, you know? Whatever you want to do, Todd, it's fine. I just put it on the, the end. I mean, because I said, well, you know, 
Like, people ain't going to know. And if Doesn't they do like, know, what's it matter? I'll play it for them. Doesn't you know? sound like wants on though. So, I mean, how would they know? Well, right. It's a whole more. different deal. And uh, Yeah, you're right. And, and, and there's people, I've had people go, you sound a little different on that song. And I'm thinking, well, that's because I was, you know, 30. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, 30, whatever. But, but I, I still do it. I can still do it. I actually was driving down the road the other day and thought, man, I'm going to get my friend to come out and play keyboards and stuff for one for two songs. I'm going to get him at the show on the 28th. I'm going to get him to do Times Are Changing, and I'm going to get all the guys and say, dude, let's do Set Me Free. I'll get him play the strings. I'll sit behind the piano, and we'll do that one. And then I went over the set list again. I was like, dude, you know what? You need to rock. So we're going to rock. Look. I don't have it with me. I almost can tell you, man. I'm, I, I show, I'm not going to give it away. About set list. Oh, dude. You may have to share with us, but not with yeah. me. Oh, <laughs> man. It's, it's, uh, we're doing a lot of want some. A lot of want some. Classic Roxy Blue. It's going to be a classic Roxy Blue show. I know. I mean, we, we were... Uh, we're throwing in a couple. Like I told you, we're going to do Bad of the Bullet, and we're going to mm-hmm. do Already Gone. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's total want some, dude. It's... It's going to be so much fun. Chris and I have been talking about it. Man. It's just going to be – and we interviewed uh, Rick Rule earlier today, and we were telling him, you know, just how – He didn't talk any bad shit about me. Man, he, no. he, <laughs> he loves you. He loves you. He's my buddy. Well, it's so cool. Too, by the way, it is so cool that all you guys get along. And I remember talking to Patrick to, to Patrick, uh, Patrick about this, and he's like, yeah, man, we we all get along. Like, have y'all done a tour tour one yet? We're, it's we're, coming. We're working on we're, it. We're, I mean, they've all they've agreed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. they – the the thing is, um, I watched the. Uh, I didn't get to go to the benefit for him, but you know, there's a Blu-ray. They interviewed you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It yeah. was very touching. You and Patrick sitting there talking. He wanted me the, to do that. I, when I showed up, um, I said, I said, well, y'all just let me know what you want me to do. And uh, Patrick said, well, I want. So Patrick went up there to. It was his. You know, they wanted to interview, and he's like, um, I want you to come up here and do this with me. I'm like, okay. And you know, me and Patrick have been buddies for a while. We used to, we were used to be kind of rivals <laughs> back in the day. Um, we were both hard headed, you know. You know, my the people that make my leather pants or make my leather pants better than the people that make your leather pants. That stupid kind of shit that we laugh about now. But um, it touched me very. That I was, I was asked to do an acoustic thing first, and then Patrick found out that they asked me to do acoustic, and he calls me and says, "Dude," and he's sick at the time. Right. He's like, "Man, you gotta play full band for me." I'm like, "Well, they'll want us to. I mean, you know, I'll do whatever you want me to." I said, "I don't know if I can get everybody together, but I can put something together." So. Me and Josh were the only original guys, but boy, was it a cool show. It was. It was a cool show. And cool. I think I freaked myself out and everybody else out when I took flight. Because that <laughs> first time, I hadn't done that in so long. I didn't practice that. I came running out. How, what do you practice jumping up in the air and doing that? Off the top of your house? So I, the first time I did it, I was like, all that thing I could think is, what it's going to feel like when I land. Yeah, what is going to break? <laughs> when I landed, it felt so good. I did it again. Man, he came run, then, running out that denim Roxy jacket. Oh, the classic one. The one from the video. Yes. So I so got, cool. just to let y'all know, and everybody know, that it's even close to the area or might come to the show. 
I've been working out and riding my bike a lot, man. This is going to be a little bit better than that one. I'm going, uh, I'm coming out. And people, time. he was energetic last summer. I had a so, mohawk. I remember. Yeah. I had a mohawk. I look completely different, but I'm, <laughs> I'm growing the hair back out. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this show, man. I mean, it means a lot to me too, because, um, man, Patrick beat cancer, man. And, you know, me and Anthony talked about this. We've, we've been going out playing some acoustic shows and stuff. And like I said before, and, and we're having a blast doing it, man. We have been playing. The last place we placed was Colorado, and it was beautiful, and it was outdoors. And um, we got some more stuff coming up. But he and I, we talked, you know, we talked about a lot of stuff, man. And, you know, the fact that Patrick's going to get back on stage, you know, they got some gigs they're playing. And, you know, to see him get back on that stage and all the guys again. And, you know, I've, I've always liked Tor Tor, man. They were they were a little bit – they came out with their first record before, while Roxy was forming, you know. And, but we've, we've always been good friends. And this is the first time that Jim Green from Green Machines, then God bless him, that anybody's been able to actually make this happen, to put Tor Tor, Roxy Blue, and Every Mother's Nightmare on the same stage – for the people to see. And we've actually talked about, hopefully, we, we're pretty much, it's going to be a success. I mean, it's almost sold out. It'll be sold out by the time the show hits. And um, to maybe try to take this show out and play some other places, you know, so people that can't, you know, that want to see that. Hey, look, man, I love all you rock and roll heads out there. I love the people that that still like to put on the old stuff like that and rock out and and don't and don't have a complex about having a good time because, in all honesty, that era was all about having fun. It really was. I mean, whether it was a Roxy record or a Tesla record or or whatever, Tor Tora, uh, everybody, you know, it, whatever it was. The people, it was all about having fun back then, and I think that's why a lot of people still hold on to that because those was like the best times of my life, man. I'm, I'm telling you, I put once on. I know head. that's why you guys are still rolling on it because y'all were like, y'all were like soaking in it, weren't you? Were I, I, you know? I still I don't put tell them what all you were soaking in, but go ahead. Put, when I put once on me in. I mean, I vividly remember the summer of 92. It I brings, vividly brings remember. it back, doesn't you know, it? Sister, sister, cranked it. Man. I wanted to play that at this show, but uh, we only have an hour, dude. and so It's just so cool, too. We were talking to Rick Roy. We might end up doing it. You never know. We, it's just, it seems like, and I asked him this question, it's like, it, do you feel that there's more of this, this want, this desire, this calling for rock now? Because I'm seeing... You know, every mother's nightmare seems to be more of a focus than, they, than they've had. They got a new, re- they've always, new record. Yeah, good, yeah. Dude. Grind's been, really good, dude. They've always been kind of active, you know, somewhat, but they seem to be more focused, more ready now. Tour tour is definitely more active. You know, Rick just kept every mother's nightmare. He used to tell me years ago, Todd Pooh, why don't you keep it? Uh, why aren't you trying to keep Roxy together? And I'm like, man, I don't know. But I, he, he went through so many musicians and so many phases, but he kept his flag, the Every Mother's Nightmare flag, right? And after all these years, this he told me, look, when this record was being made, he looked at me. We did a show together. 714 was playing with Every Mother's Nightmare. And he told me, man, 
this is it for me. And this record hit, and he got the band he wanted, and I talked to him again. I'm like, uh-huh, this one gave you new life, didn't it? You're breathing again, aren't you? And it's a good record. It is. Yeah, we've got, yeah. So cool, I, I, I commend him on that. But all you guys, too, and many, like, Tour Tour and... and Every Mother's Night now. And now well, boxing. Anthony's just got, he's got the fever. He'll tell you in a second, dude, I don't know what it is in my life, but whether the guys go with me or not, I got to get back out It seems like y'all there, do, so. though, to an extent. That's what I'm saying. I think saying. everybody so is like, seems like and, and I think you don't 20 do years of, uh, of uh, cabin fever. <laughs> you don't do it, but you don't do it unless you, you don't do it unless you feel that there is a desire for it. And that's what's cool. I think yeah, I have found it. that. I found, you know, it's weird. Uh, and it's weird you said that because it, it's like me and Anthony were talking about that. We... Every time you go somewhere, you we talk about this all the time. You don't know what you're gonna what to expect, especially because you're not the band that's on the radio now. You're not the band that's out there doing it. You're going on memories, man. You're going on the history of what your band did. But the only good thing is, you know, you're going to this place because they want you to come there. So it's weird. We were talking when we played Colorado last. It was a big outdoor thing and it was cool man and it was in the mountains and it was beautiful and you couldn't have asked for a better scenery and the sun was going down and it was perfect and I remember Anthony and we, we sat out there and we were kind of we got uh, altitude sickness because we had to been there done that I had to drive to Nashville get on a flight with him fly to um, we flew so somewhere then we went we got to Colorado, and then we had, they had to drive us three hours to this place we were going. So we're not going to do that again. Uh, we're doing another route. But anyway, I remember him saying before we went on, we were going, man, I, I hope this goes over good. I was like, dude, they they want us to play, you know. But you, I was like, dude, it's almost like the old days when you're going – Man, I hope there's going to be some people there tonight. You know, you just don't know. You right. always ask that. Even though people are looking at you going, dude, what are you talking about? It's packed. But we walked out there, and they decided to do, in Colorado, they decided to do a, like a storyteller thing. So instead of me going on or Anthony going on, they decided to put us on stage together. That's really and cool. That way we kind of told stories as we played songs. And man, we liked it, man. It was so comfortable. And it was, I mean, we didn't do the question answer thing, but it was so much fun. And people had a great time, and it, the interaction was great. And it was one of those moments you just didn't want to go away. So I was like, dude, let's take some pictures while we're up here because we got it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, that's, um, I don't even remember what the question was anymore, but it was awesome. Well, so much question, <laughs> just saying it feels like it's it just, the timing's right. It feels like the timing was right, and and I remember Anthony telling me, "Man, I know the guys can't do gigs all the time, but he goes, Todd, I, I, I gotta get out and play." And I'm like, "Dude, I get it, I get it, me too, man. I mean, I'm just, I mean, are we one of the same? Because yeah. it's like that 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 fever. Now the thing is, I will say now Anthony played for a while with uh, a few bands like around in Memphis before he moved to Nashville. Me, I've kind of like I had saliva and I had rail and I had seven fourteen. I just have stayed rocking. So, you know, 
when he tells me he needs to get out, I get it because he probably had a little bit of a hiatus where he wasn't playing. And he's a heck of a talent, dude. That guy's awesome. Well, the the thing that after meeting you, and this is our third time meeting you and Rick, and we met Anthony at the podcast expo, all three of you guys are just nice people. And and the dynamic, the, the 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 three musketeers, man of the of the of that era. And I you know, appreciate I, you saying I, I, that. I was on um, uh, the Decibel Geek podcast last week, and one of the things that uh, they were saying was it was so cool. Chris Sinzak, you know who done yeah yeah Chris he great was saying, guy. He was saying it was so cool. Like I looked up, and there's the three Memphis bands, and he's like, I had a hand in putting this together, and these are, these are guys you know that that I grew up listening to. And, and that's cool, isn't it? The three Memphis bands. I mean, we came out of Memphis, and it was a great era. But isn't that weird that three bands? I mean, this isn't. I mean, we didn't go off to be like, you know, as big as Tesla or big as a lot of those bands. But to a lot of people, we might have. But the three Memphis bands are Every Mother's Nightmare, Roxy Blue, and Tor Tor. That's the three Memphis three-headed monster, three-headed monster that came out in that era that actually made a mark. We we made our mark, and 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 we only made our mark because people enjoyed listening to our music. But we, but I, I'm still good friends. Uh, Rick's got a great band together right now. Um, he got Jim Fipp back um, from um, from the original, which Jim's great. Um, of course, Tor Tor is all original. Roxy Blue's almost original, man. Everybody but Sid, and you know. And what I was saying about Sid earlier, though, I will uh, go back to say Sid's doing quite well. Sid is a dentist here in Memphis, and he's got uh, he's got three kids and uh, a lovely wife, and he is a super great guy, and I love that guy. And uh, he had the opportunity to do this, and he just chose not to. He just said, man, it's just not where I'm at right now. And he gave us his blessings, and we're good to go. That's, so that's and, I mean, that's admirable. It's very considerate. Man, you, you know, that. and, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that, and me and Josh both were like, hey, dude, you know, we want to make, and, you know, I've been asking Sid for 20 years to do something. I almost had him. But, and Sid's a great guitar player, but I don't think that Sid, I don't think you're a great guitar player, and then you just are not anymore. I know he can still play like that, but... I know Sid's always been a perfectionist. He always was back in the day. And I'm proud of him. He's a really good dentist, and he's got his own practice, and he's doing quite well. But for him to be that guy again, he knows what it'll take for him to be that guy again. Being a dentist would have to be set to the side. And he looks at me and goes, dude, I got to do root canals, man. Right. I can't think about, I mean, I have to put a lot of work to become that guy again. Right. And I think as much as he probably would like to, and I know him and I know he would love to do it. Hey, I don't have time to put the time into what it takes to be that guy again. So I'm welcoming that guy. And I'm, um, and Wayne Sweeney's, you know, you couldn't ask for anybody better to step in and rock the world because he's a, he's a monster. Well, we're getting getting close to uh, maxing out our uh, recording space here. Okay. Um, well, that's all my you, life. Before we do rapid uh, fire, do you have any anything else? No, I don't. I mean, just I, yeah, I was going to see if, if Todd has anything else to promote anything. 
Man, all I got is what I'm, I mean, I've been rambling on. If I, hopefully, well, hopefully somebody got let's, something out of all that three-hour. Uh, let's <laughs> see. Uh, you can go to iTunes or Amazon and buy Stripped, the live album, and want some more. Right. You and, can do that and go to fnarecords.com um, and get it. Uh, you can definitely go uh, to the new Under the Radar record will be out. Uh, I want you to check that out. Um and you can go to all that stuff to get them. You go to Under the Radar uh, Band, or I think it's Under the Radar Band. I'll, I'll share their link on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and the, their new record's going to be coming out soon, so be checking that out. Check them and those guys out. Be looking for uh, Sweeney Pool Project. What do you think out. that could be? Man, I'm, in all reality, uh, with the, the touring schedules and everything, uh Probably the first of the year. Sometime okay. I'm thinking, you know, it's already getting ready to be October. So with holidays and everything up, I don't know. I'm kind of shooting for maybe January, February um, for that. Um, new Roxy record in the going to be starting writing for that that uh, record. And don't know when it is, but you guys will keep everybody posted on that. We and will. Bet we will. We'll make that happen. But I would like to thank you guys for having me on the show. And I'm always... Um, open to come and talk to you guys and I want to thank everybody out there for rocking out some Roxy Blue and if you're anywhere close to the South Haven Mississippi area October 28th is uh, Bank Plus Amphitheater is going to be Brett Michaels Tora Tora Roxy Blue Every Mother's Nightmare Under the Radar uh, Rock 103's 40th anniversary show. It's going to be a powwow. you got to be there. Uh, I'll see you guys later, man. So Chris is going to close us out. He's going to do rapid fire with you. Uh, or oh. I can do I can do it. Which rapid fire? Rapid fire questions. Oh, oh. a couple questions. Yeah. Hey, cool. come cool. on. Cool. Bring cool. it on. I'm still right. here. <laughs> Back oh. and forth. Okay. All right. I'll start it off. What's the first mm-hmm. album you ever bought? Kiss Alive. Favorite album, if you have one. Oh, am I under pressure here? Uh, uh, favorite album. And if not, it can be two or three. Oh, if, if rapid they... fire. Favorite album. Uh, favorite album is um, Van Halen one. And I, I, I gotta, I gotta have two. I got three you can, records. You can have three. Okay. Um, um, the next one would be uh, Physical Graffiti. Led Zeppelin. That's a good Zeppelin. And my third one would be, uh, not my third one, but another one is probably going to be um, We Sold Our Souls to Rock and Roll. Black Sabbath. All right. Who's your favorite band? God, it's a tie. Gun to your head. Black Sabbath. And if you could play in any band, aside from all the many ones you've had, who would it be? Maybe take a Bill Ward, take a Rosie. God, I can't <laughs> believe some um, Foo Fighters. Okay. Nice. All right, final one. What's your favorite Roxy Blue song? Hmm. Wow, you want to stump somebody? There you go. All right, man, I'm going to give it to you. 
Rockabye Baby. That's a good one. It's a good one. It's a good one. It's the one I always go back to. It rocks. It does. Well, Todd, man, thank you. Thank you so Pleasure. much. Uh, we look forward to seeing you on the 28th. It's I'll be, be playing that one, too, for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Man, thank you guys, and thank everybody for still rocking out in the in the rock days and, and keeping it real. And I will see you guys soon. And we will uh, we'll see you guys uh, next week.